Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week podcast. And if you think about it, the only games that that Hideo Kojima has made that have been like, oh my God, I have to have it, are the Metal Gear Solid series. So right. is he really that big of a, a I almost said genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so using that for now. That is the new term. That is the new <laughs> term for it. The genius of Kojima. <laughs> Thank you so much for turning my moment on the podcast where I didn't think anybody was going to be listening to this in the future. Not only did you include that on the podcast, but you also made a clip of it to share on Twitter. So, Blue, thank you so much for that moment. And Donnie, you have you have something to say about this as well. <laughs> well, it uh, happily announced the fact that I was returning from a bowel movement. <laughs> okay first off honesty towards our listeners is the best policy so they need to be informed about what's going on at gamers week secondly ryan if after a full year of doing this you have (laughs) realized that if it's recording it's fair game that's on you (laughs) touche the toilet pipes are calling (laughs) Are we ready to start this? Yep. We are. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. Today is episode 53, and it is Tuesday, December 27th, 2022, our last recorded episode of 2022. Woo! Are we going to do any of the the see you next year jokes? No, I I think we're way above that. (laughs) (laughs) Are we really? No, we're not. We're definitely not. Yeah. (laughs) This is our last podcast of the year, folks. (laughs) See you in 2023. (laughs) Yuck, yuck, yuck. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I don't even know how to start introducing myself. (laughs) My name is Ryan, a.k.a. Retro Gamers, and I have with me two awesome people. First of all, a man, when given the choice between pigtails and pacifiers, always chooses pigtails. Donnie G, how are you doing today? Donnie. That, um, are we talking about my son? Um, you know what? Not, I'm, doing, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thank you. How are you? How have you been? I'm, I'm great. Thanks. Pleading the fifth, I feel, is the best course of action here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Lip sealed. I also have a woman who once told me, and I quote, we don't hate you. We're jealous of your success, talent, and charisma. That's why we feel the need to act out from time to time, but it's all done with love. And this in no way was intended to be patronizing. Blue Williams, Blue, how you doing? (laughs) I'm glad that everything I say makes such an impact on you. (laughs) (laughs) The sarcasm alarm was going off in my head as you read that. Yeah. I am never sarcastic. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So on the idea of a one year kind of finishing up 2022, we are doing a one year celebration live episode on Twitch. That's right. We're going to be live. You get to see our darling faces. And it's going to be happening on Tuesday, January 3rd at 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern time on twitch.tv slash gamers week podcast. Just a heads up, though. This is going to be more akin to an uncut episode, so that not safe for work warning is going to be uh, a big thing. So, <laughs> ju- fair warning. We-, we told you first. Right. So, I am unable to apply the Yoshi sound effect for swearing that I use in the podcast in real time. So, <laughs> you can't trust those two. They're going to say something dirty. Definitely the not suitable for work warning. <laughs> So after you get done watching VeggieTales with the kids, maybe put them to bed (laughs) and then stop it. Is VeggieTales still a thing? If you like to talk to tomatoes. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) If a squash can make you smile. Oh, God. I'm back in junior high. What the hell is going on? (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) <laughs> Not like this. <laughs> like this, please. <laughs> All right. So why don't we jump into our reviews, reactions, and requests for the week, starting out with Sparkle Gamer. Great show. Have a happy and safe Christmas. Just don't eat the gum. And of course, we're talking about the pack of Turtles cards that we're going to be sending out here shortly <laughs> that has gum that has been resting for Probably 35 years, right? Decades. Yes. <laughs> Gamers Week podcast is not responsible if you decide to eat that gum. <laughs> Can we like repackage those into our own brand of gum and send them out to people? <laughs> <laughs> Gamers Week podcast is not responsible if you eat our own branded gum. <laughs> All right, next up is Games with Coffee. He said, I didn't know what I was getting into when I pledged to the Gamers Week Patreon, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions ever. It's incredibly welcoming and supportive community, and the podcast ain't half bad either. Thank you, (laughs) Coffee Ryan. That's awesome. Thank you, Coffee Coffee. Ryan. And lastly, brightest days. Gotta say, if one would do Peter Griffin's voice in an episode, I would match you with some Cleveland. Uh, Donnie? Hey, (laughs) y'all. That'd be just nasty. (laughs) It's just nasty. (laughs) And now, it's time for the... Very, very, very important, 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 poll, poll, poll. Donnie is recording from the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) That was a a sloth. (laughs) (laughs) Baby, 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 baby. Ruth, baby, Ruth, (laughs) Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP, our very important poll. If you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. And the question for this week was, what is your favorite video game to take place in space? 
Coming in at number three, uh, Dead Space with 17.5%. Runner up only slightly was Mario Galaxy at 32.3%. And the winner of this week's poll was Mass Effect with 32.6%. Now, some of you said other at 17.6%. So let's take a look at some of the comments from the poll. At Guiding Light NW says Star Fox. A lot of the Star Wars games like Knights of the Old Republic and Rogue Squadron, Everspace, and with all the updates it's had since launch, I can honestly say No Man's Sky. It plays pretty well on Switch, and being able to carry an entire galaxy in my pocket is pretty cool. At Josh Foland says Outer Wilds isn't just the greatest video game, it's the greatest digital experience ever created. And I genuinely believe experiencing that game in the manner intended by the developer makes you a better, more empathetic human being. At Gamer Girl, he says, as of yesterday, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. At Super Galaxy Fist says, Rad Gravity. Just cover your ears for the intro music. It'll cut your eardrums. And at Go Away Go One says, You forgot the best game that takes place in space, which is Among Us. No, but really, in all seriousness, I'd have to say Doom. I mean, only some of the game takes place in space, but I'd say it still counts. Still counts. I'll allow it. <laughs> Does it still count? Oh, it counts. Okay. <laughs> See, I was having a hard time with this question because, you know, it's like, well, it's in space, but do we count other worlds as being, quote unquote, in space? If you want to be extra specific, everywhere is in space, technically. You're not, you know what? You're not wrong. And I like that. (laughs) So modern warfare takes place in space. Why not? Right. (laughs) So based on this question for this week, Ryan, what was your choice? So my initial thought was going to go with StarCraft. I absolutely love that game. I've played it probably more hours into that game than any other game I've ever played uh, because I've played it for years. I've played it recently. So StarCraft has always been a huge game for me. But I've gotten into Star Control 2 recently. And that, to me, is a fantastic space exploration game. You spend a lot of time interacting with different races, trying to find out uh, who is uh, a good person to ally with. It's negotiation. There's a lot of really cool elements to the game that make it so that each time you play it, potentially uh, there are some different outcomes that you can run into. Granted, the the overall story, you got to get to a certain point. So that's some of that's going to be the same, but how you do it and when you do it is really up to you. And the visuals and the voiceover stuff is really good as well. It's funny uh, at times and it's challenging. So I'm going to go with Star Control 2. What type of game is it? It's a survival strategy. Uh, yes. I don't even know what I would call it, to be honest with you. Okay. Space nerdum. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Blue, what was your choice for this week? So this question made me realize that I don't play many space games. (laughs) (laughs) So the first game that my mind actually went to was Wing Commander on the Super Nintendo, the very first Wing Commander. I loved that game as a kid. I spent so many hours playing it, doing the different dogfight missions, and I could not get enough of that game. I don't. Even, I haven't played it in forever. I have no idea if it holds up. Probably not. But Wing Commander on the Super Nintendo, my favorite space game. I'm not sure if I remember Wing Commander being on the Super Nintendo. It was. Huh. It, it definitely was on a lot of systems. The series went on to have a bunch of entries and a really terrible movie. And, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I never played anything besides the first Wing Commander. Okay. All right, I'm looking at the box art for it for the Super Nintendo. I kind of remember it, but 
Yeah, I'd have to go back and play it just to see if, it, uh, like you said, if it does hold up. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Donnie? It was a tough choice. Like I said, you know, do I want to be specific or pedantic? Like, well, it's technically not in space. But as Brian pointed out, everything's in space. So it really doesn't matter. So this was a pointless question to begin with. Way to go, Ryan. Right. So I'm going with spider solitaire because it takes most of my time. (laughs) I always preferred regular solitaire to spider solitaire. (laughs) Well, to each their own. I couldn't really pick one. So uh, three of the top ones I had was Oddworld. Abe's Odyssey. Um, it's in space. It's in a different planet. It's a nice puzzle game. Um, you know, you've got the the little uh, whatever the creature's name is. I guess his name is Abe, and you know he makes the fart sounds. He's like he he he, <laughs> and he does the does the puzzles. It's it's almost, it's almost plays like Prince of Persia did um, on the Super Nintendo with the jumping and the running and and, and stuff like that. There's that one. There's Toe Jam and Earl, which is a fun game. Um, and also one of my top favorites is Lightning Force for Quest for the Dark Star on the Sega Genesis. Very challenging game. Love the soundtrack on it. Uh, it's a game I, I had memorized for quite some time. And then I kind of fell off and, and didn't play it for, for, for a while. But I've recently picked it back up and I'm, I'm trying to go for the world record on that game. Ooh. So it's, it's one of my top favorite games for uh, space play. I love that game. It's, it's really good. It's super challenging, but super fun. Right. The first time playing it, you're going to die. You're going to die again. You're probably going to rage quit. You're going to walk away from the game. And then you're like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'll give it another shot. And then you start the, the memorization kicks in. But that music's so good. I want to keep it playing. Is. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I want to keep playing. Is it one of those ones where the music keeps playing when you hit pause? No, it does not. Ah, that's the worst. And you have to keep playing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Now I'm trying to think of what games have music that keeps playing when you hit pause. Battletoads. Really? <laughs> Are we in the club? <laughs> Welcome to the Gamers Week B-Box. <laughs> <laughs> I rip and I rhyme. I rhyme and I rip. All right, why don't we go ahead and shout out our patrons for the week. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, The Redox PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Rerun Gamer, Number One Blue Sick Boys Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gammatroid, Emo-esque, Bill Tucker, Rai Bread's number one fan, Fruitcake's number one stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, The Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman 71, Great Siaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, JNL Game, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, and Terry Kinnair. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. 
All right, so why don't we jump into our headlines for the week? Our headline segment is probably sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Currently, they're playing through Parasol Stars and Quake 2. Visit them at RetroGameClub.net or follow the link in the show notes. Donnie, do you like Parasol Stars? Do you like Flock of Seagulls? No, I see you do. Um... I don't remember Parasol Stars until I just looked it up on Wikipedia. I know. Don't say it. Don't say it. It goes by another name, which is Bubble Bobble 3. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> Do you hate every game in the Bubble Bobble series? No, I've never played Bubble Bobble 2. Actually, that's not correct. I have briefly touched Bubble Bobble 2. It wasn't bad. I've never played uh, Parasol Stars. Next time on twitch.com slash Retro. No way in hell. <laughs> I might play it for like five minutes. Who knows? <laughs> for enough bits, he'll probably do anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, half a bit? All right. I'll play Bubble Bobble 3. He's real cheap. Hey. <laughs> From Digital Trends, 2022 was the rise and fall of the video game leaker. Video game industry leaks and rumors aren't a new phenomenon. That reached a boiling point this year, though. While leakers were in the spotlight in 2022, it wasn't always for good reason. Grand Theft Auto 6 footage was illegally obtained in September and leaked onto the internet, raising questions over when and how video games deserve to be revealed. Notable leakers such as Account NGT and The Real Insider, revealed to be YouTuber Dan Allen Gaming, (gasps) were exposed as frauds. And one with an accurate track record, The Snitch, on Twitter, just outright retired. Video game industry leaks and rumors feel more relevant and flawed than ever, and some of 2022's biggest video game news stories will forever be associated with them. With all that strife around leakers and leak culture, it can be tough to understand how people get so invested in it. A lot of that community is centered around one subreddit, r forward slash gaming leaks and rumors, where all the latest and most interesting video game leaks are shared. While that subreddit is thriving, the various controversies and the fallout of the Grand Theft Auto 6 situation leave insider culture in a strange spot heading into 2023. Whether or not you want to keep consuming or supporting leaks is a personal choice. This year made it clear the practice can have real-world consequences if not handled correctly. Even when you find a trustworthy source, though, it's still worth taking your rumors with a healthy dose of skepticism. I... As somebody who, you know, who likes to to be in the know, sure, I, I love a good leak, but I can see how it's detrimental to a company who wants to keep things under wraps, especially if, you know, they're, they're still toying with ideas and all of a sudden screenshots leak and you're like, oh my God, this looks so horrible. Why does this look like it was banned on a PS1 and yada, 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 or, <laughs> oh, I can't believe that they would make this character look like this. And oh, nah, 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 nah. Then you get the collective internet like they always do because they don't like something. I would agree. You know, it's it's an interesting dichotomy of thought because you're right. There's a part of me that enjoys this idea of being in the know. Leaks are kind of fun uh, at times, but the long-term consequences for it and in really the long-term consequences for the leakers this year have been also pretty heavily, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? 
I think you're correct. It seems like this is the first year where the the costs associated with leaking stuff has not been worth what they get in return, the clout they get in return. Right, right, right. Because when you've got a major company that's suing you and sending you to prison, you know, you're sitting next to murderers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's tough to make an impression in prison that way. Making information available to people, I don't know if that's illegal, but how you obtained it, they're going to want to know how you got that. Right. So they want to know if it was somebody internal that leaked it to them and, and so forth and so forth. So I think if you're if you're somebody that that was a leaker and you say, okay, hey, I've got all this information and now this company comes to you and says, hey, well, we're going to sue you for it. And you're like, oh, well, no, no, no. I, I, I got this from this guy. Especially if you signed an, an NDA to get it. Right. Right. And then decide, oh, I'll just make an alias and I'll break the NDA and it will be fine. I'll have the best of both worlds. I just, I think the the reward doesn't outweigh the risk. And with that in mind, do you think that moving forward to the future that we'll see less and less leaks? I don't think we will. I think people will will find a way around it. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll create different aliases. They'll use VPNs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but somebody will slip up. They always do. And at some point you're like, oh, uh, I accidentally showed my driver's license on screen and somebody like something, some kind of slip up like that. Would that would be real stupid. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> you know, people do kind of do some of that stuff. It's the, the Ross Ulbricht effect from uh, <laughs> Silk Road, right? Uh, even yep. though you may be behind a million different firewalls and using a browser like Tor, chances are your identity and the U.S. government is going to find you. Yep. I've always been really ambivalent about leaks. I don't care one way or another. And even if it's a game that I'm really looking forward to, I'm not interested in the information until it's a finished product. Then I want to know how it is. But to me, there's no point in finding out stuff about the game when it's only halfway finished because most of it's going to change anyway. Right. So right. I don't understand personally, on a personal level, I don't understand why people get so freaking excited about leaks. It seems completely pointless to me people enjoy the taboo if they're not supposed to be seeing something (laughs) they enjoy it fair (laughs) i have no argument with that but (laughs) i'm probably gonna save my taboo for stuff that is more (laughs) not video game leaks (laughs) we don't kick shame here (laughs) we don't kick shame here but yeah seeing a seeing a an alpha build of grand theft auto 6 doesn't really do it for me All right, next up from Games Radar. After a quiet year, the Xbox Series X has a lot to prove in 2023. It has been a difficult year for the Xbox Series X. While we had all expected Microsoft Gaming to build on the momentum it had generated coming out of 2021, following the releases of Forza Horizon 5, Halo Infinite, and Microsoft Flight Simulator, delays to Redfall and Starfield scuppered that. Scuppered is not a word you hear every day. That is, I don't think I've ever heard that before. (laughs) It left the platform with arguably one of its weakest first-party lineups since Phil Spencer took over the job as head of Xbox nine years ago. As fantastic as Obsidian Games' Pentiment and Grounded are, they were smaller-scale productions aiming to deliver to more niche corners of the game-playing public. In a year where PlayStation Studios delivered God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, and Gran Turismo 7, and where Nintendo launched Pokemon Legends Arceus, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, and Splatoon 3, 
I can't help but be a little disappointed by what Microsoft was able to release in 2022. If Microsoft Gaming succeeded in any area in 2022, however, it would be with the third-party exclusives it was able to lock down for the platform and Game Pass. Two of the best games of 2022, Immortality and Vampire Survivors, arrived as console exclusives for Xbox, while As Dusk Falls, Somerville, and High on Life certainly impressed too. Whether this scale of games will keep the Game Pass library looking attractive to prospective subscribers while they wait for the likes of Starfield and Redfall is, however, largely debatable. There are 23 first-party studios under the Xbox Game Studios umbrella, and while we know what a great many of the teams are working on, it has been quite some time since we've received updates on the likes of Avowed, Fable 4, Indiana Jones, Perfect Dark, and countless others. Wow, 23 first-party studios, and we got... Pentiment and Grounded. <laughs> Out of 23 first-party studios, one <laughs> released games. <laughs> They're going for the long con there. I think with Xbox acquisition of Activision Blizzard, whether that goes through or not, I think it's going to be one of the biggest stories of 2023 when it comes to the Xbox uh, if they're unable to, as a result of all the, the litigation that's happening, I don't know if Xbox is going to be able to be the same player in the industry because they have spent so much time, so much money, so much focus on this. It sounds like to me as well that they're not putting as much of an effort into making some of those first party titles for themselves. So what happens if that doesn't go through? It's right. like everything is kind of resting on are they going to be able to finish the deal? If Microsoft has back-to-back years like this where Xbox just essentially doesn't contribute to the industry in any meaningful way, um, I think you're right. I think they will start to see their market position slip. I, I, I want Xbox to succeed because I don't want it to be a complete monopoly or a, a two-console industry like it was in the early 90s yeah two-party system if you will say (laughs) god more competition is always better yeah that's a good point is you can only live off the strength of your back catalog for so long just ask sega and atari right and you know i i'd like the fact that they're talking about um different titles like avowed fable 4 indiana jones perfect dark etc 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 but at some point the sequels of these games reach a tipping point where you're just like yeah, I love the content, but man, just let, let me do something else. Let me move on to something else. Like with uh, the Uncharted. I love that series, but I, I think after the fourth one, it's just like, ah, it's time to give it up. You know, <laughs> you go in, it's a treasure hunter, which I love. I love the whole collecting treasures and fighting bad guys and all that stuff. But there comes a time when you get tired of playing the same damn thing over and over and over again, release after release after release, Gears of War, Modern Warfare, etc. Yeah, remind me how many Call of Duty You are. watch your tongue? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. If the formula works, the formula works. <sighs> I don't want to agree with that statement, but uh, I will agree with that statement. Proud of you. <laughs> Baby steps. Yep. But as far as Xbox future, if, if the Activision Blizzard deal does not go through... Do you think that they continue to do mergers and acquisitions, buying out more companies, or is now that too much of a risk because of the failure of this monstrosity of a deal? Well, like we talked about before, they let a lot of deals go by this year. Right. 
uh, that were smaller. They were still big deals, but they were smaller than this one. So, I mean, you could look at it either way. If this is the, this is the line that's not allowed, then in theory, anything smaller than that or, or comparable to deals that have already gone through, they should feel fairly safe doing those. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they've already got 23 first party studios under the Xbox Game Studios umbrella. At some point, you're just going to spread yourself way too thin. And at some point, you need these studios to produce something. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a bad move if Microsoft wants to continue purchasing other studios to bring in under their umbrella. Because when does it end? Well, I think that's one of the fears, though, for our, all the gamers out there is that there is no end, is that eventually, if you're going to create a studio, it's going to be purchased by one of the big companies. Right. No. <laughs> Please don't make it happen. No. I mean, I think we we all have our little pet indie studios that we we want to stay independent and creative and unique and perfect and don't want hoovered up by one of the big three so that they're then beholden to giant shareholders and all this kind of crap, which ruin everything. Hoovered or Dyson, because that's constant suction with a Dyson. <laughs> Hoovered sounds better. Dyson is probably a better analogy. <laughs> Blue is dating herself with a Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> I am older than you, not as old as Donnie. Hey, Jesus, that's strike two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to strike out a couple times before the episode's over. Don't worry. <laughs> Every time she does, I'm going to go swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, from Metro, Reader's Feature, Performance Mode has destroyed the point of video game consoles. Hot take incoming. Right. <laughs> a lack of choice is the whole principle behind video game consoles and always has been, at least until the last generation. Every console is the same everywhere in the world. Want to spend two hours getting a game to work before you play, then fine. You just have the choice to buy a PC. But for me, the beauty of consoles is that you start the game and that's it. You're straight into the game and never have to spare a second thinking about the hardware. Or at least that's how it used to work. The PS4 Pro and Xbox Series X are what started it all. Suddenly, halfway through the generation, two new consoles appeared that promised more power, but were very vague about what that actually meant. Suddenly, you have to make choices before starting a game between resolution and performance. You can't just have both. Instead, the developers had given up all attempts at optimization and shifted the problems onto players. If it's not high enough resolution, that's your fault. If the game isn't running smoothly, that's because you made the wrong choice. The situation even got worse in the new generation, where games are suddenly filled with four or more different modes, prioritizing a range of contradictory choices, primarily 30 FPS or 60 FPS frame rates, but also things like ray tracing and 120 frames per second. Unlike the 4K resolution decision, these differences actually matter, and you're forced to make a decision between a game that looks great or plays great. You can't have both. When I play a game nowadays, especially a multiplayer game, I'm no longer safe in the knowledge that everyone else is playing with the same limitations as me. Heck, with the multiplayer games, that could now just as easily be a PC player with a vastly more powerful machine, mouse, and keyboard, and cheats installed. Imagine how much worse it's going to be next generation, even just the PS5 Pro. More and more decisions diluting the whole purpose of having a console until there's no difference between it and a PC. The worst thing is, I'm not even sure if Sony or Microsoft realize that that's the future they're racing towards. 
Hot take. <laughs> yeah, hot take. <laughs> this person is not entirely wrong. Prior to this, you would get a PS2 Slim or a PS3 Slim, which maybe weren't necessarily pro in the sense that there was better hardware, but it was maybe more efficient hardware, I guess. Right, right. But then now all of a sudden it's like, oh no, if you want the pro, then you kind of felt like you needed to buy again to catch up. And I could see where that would be frustrating for people who couldn't necessarily afford to just get a new console or maybe who just didn't want to get a new console midway through the generation. But at the same time, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics of even the base PS4 are still really darn good. Mm -hmm. That's why it's hard for me to go out and buy a PS5 or an Xbox Series X because I firmly don't believe that there's a definitive difference in the graphics between an Xbox One, a PS4 versus an Xbox Series X and a PS5. Ray tracing, Donnie. It traces uh, the rays. There is a difference. There is a difference, I will say. And you could definitely tell. Well, I guess it depends. If you play some of the games that were released super early in the life cycle of the Xbox One and the PS4, you look at those graphics and they look, as you would expect, a lot more like PS3 games versus something that like, like a Ghost of Tsushima, essentially the last big exclusive of the PS4. And it's a world of difference just even within that same generation. So I would say that, that there's a big difference between early PS4 games and early PS5 games, there's a huge difference. Hmm, okay. Another point that they talk about is the fact that in multiplayer, uh, especially with cross-platform nowadays, you've got people who play on an Xbox, people who play on a PS5, people who play on PC. When somebody can spend five to $8,000 on their rig for a PC, and let's just say taking Modern Warfare or Warzone as an example, they've got a high-end graphics card that they can... Oh, across the map, I could see a flea move. Yet this guy playing on a <laughs> PS5 or an Xbox, he's like, like well, I, the pixels are running together. Like I can't make out if that's a person, if that's a rock, whatever. And they're never able to achieve the kind of KDR that the PC player uh, is doing or the wins that the PC player is doing. It's not a level playing field there. If you wanted to race your car against somebody who owned a Ferrari, right? Chances are you're going to lose and you're aware of that. And so right. naturally you race against other cars that are of your same, we'll say financial standing. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. <laughs> but the problem is to your point is that crossplay it puts in Ferraris with your Dodge shadow. And at the end of the day, that makes it difficult for everyone to truly get the same gaming experience, but it is what it is. There's nothing that, you're going to be able to do from your financial situation to buy something that's going to play games at that level. Of course, but there's a level playing field or there should be a level playing field when you're playing a game on an Xbox with somebody else who's playing the game on an Xbox. That's how it used to be. You know, it used to be with the PS2 whenever there was networking capabilities, everything was the same resolution because you were playing it on the same hardware. Right. Now there's too many different variables out there that it's not a level playing field. So cross-play, while being a great thing to bring gamers together, has its drawdowns, more or less. Yes. And I think Ryan made a really good analogy with the, the racing thing, is that there aren't many areas in life where somebody who can afford to spend more money is not going to get an advantage. Right. So uh, is it naive to expect that video games should be different? 
A little bit, yeah. Mm, yeah. And at the end of the day, the vast majority of gamers, I think, are fine with that dichotomy between PC versus console because it doesn't affect their gameplay, as you kind of pointed out. It's specific games that would require uh, 120 FPS and a wicked right. graphics card. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fair number of games out there that would never require that, or you don't have to play online against someone else. So, Yep. The world of single player. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> From ComicBook.com, Hideo Kojima believes he'll still be making video games as an AI in 100 years. Hideo Kojima thinks we will continue to get more Hideo Kojima games long after he is gone. Hideo Kojima is one of the most renowned video game developers out there and has been in the business for many decades. At the ripe age of 59 years old, he's still cooking up bangers and is arguably doing more than he ever has. Right now he's working on the recently announced Death Stranding 2, an Xbox game, a Death Stranding movie, and a number of other projects that are in various stages of development. He's staying busy, and it sounds like not even death itself will be enough to slow him down. When speaking with IGN in a recent interview, Hideo Kojima was asked what philosophies he wants to leave behind at Kojima Productions 50 to 100 years from now. Kojima shared that he plans to lead Kojima Productions for the rest of his life, and noted that even after he's gone, he may have an AI take over for him and carry on his legacy and mindset. That's a good question, said Kojima. I've never really thought about that. I'll keep leading so long as I'm around. And all that matters to me is that our roots when it comes to creation are kept intact. But you know, I'll probably become an AI and stick around. You need to be stimulated in lots of different ways if you want to keep creating new things. So I imagine I'll keep collaborating with others and taking in new things, even if I'm an AI. It's the most Hideo Kojima answer you could possibly expect. And now I'm convinced that Hideo Kojima is in fact... An alien. <laughs> he is not a human being. He is, he is from another planet, and he is here to make games that make us go, huh? <laughs> huh? Not hmm. It's huh? <laughs> and here I was thinking, like, imagine you're you're a young game dev, really working hard, really applying yourself at Kadima Productions, and and you have a goal of working your way up in the company, and only to find out that you never really have a chance of becoming in charge of the company because it's just going to go to an AI, and you're going to spend your entire career answering <laughs> to a computer, essentially. Just imagine going into the boardroom and like, have you asked Kojima net? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just also reminds me of like the Futurama heads in a jar. Right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and how many different times were they going to say Hideo Kojima? Right. Like, Hideo Kojima thinks we will continue to get more Hideo Kojima games. Perhaps Hideo Kojima refers to himself as Hideo Kojima. Oh, he definitely does. I think does. he does. Totally <laughs> In does. the third person. <laughs> uh, what can I get you, sir? Hideo Kojima would like a Big Mac with some fries and some <laughs> Szechuan sauce. Hideo Kojima doesn't want any lettuce on his Big Mac. Do you think Hideo Kojima eats at McDonald's? <laughs> no, he never touches the stuff. Probably not, because you know those Americans don't understand his games. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole like genius thing where you're a genius, so you think that everything you do is genius, <laughs> is so dripping in his responses to this. He's like, oh, yes, they'll need me. In perpetuity. <laughs> Perhaps it was a joke. It's hard to tell from text. <laughs> right. So Death Stranding was not a commercial success, correct? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. 
as of November 2022, Bloody Disgusting says Death Stranding sales tops 10 million across PC and PlayStation. And I think 10 million units is kind of the point at which games start to feel like they're a big deal. Okay. I'd agree with that. Okay. So, so but it, you, to your point, it, it wasn't like a blockbuster. Oh my God, everybody's got to have this. This isn't, you know. Right. It wasn't Elden Ring, which sold yeah. 18 million in the first year. Right. And if you think about it, the only games that, that Hideo Kojima has made that have been like, oh my God, I have to have it are the Metal Gear Solid series. Even his earliest stuff like Snatcher, which is a great game. It, it wasn't a commercial success because nobody, not a lot of people could afford the Sega CD and uh, the platform that it was out on. So people didn't get to experience that. They didn't get to experience police knots. We just mainly know him for uh, Metal Gear. So right. is he really that big of a, a I almost said genius. <laughs> oh, I'm so using that for now. That is the new term. That is the new term for it. The genius of Kojima. Is he that big of a genius, or is he just that full of himself? Uh, both. both? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. But I think you're right. This article says you know uh, he's still cooking up bangers and is arguably doing more than he ever has. But I would agree with you in that. His work after Metal Gear has not had the same impact. Okay. He gets along a lot on his mystique, where people are always like, ooh, Kojima Productions dropped a teaser where it's just an outline of a face and a one word, and what does it all mean? He's artistic. Isn't that that line from Speed where he says, well, I'm rich, so I'm not insane, I'm eccentric? <laughs> Fair. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> falls in line with Kachuna. <laughs> All right, so why don't we look at our top three new releases for the week? Well, uh, we'd love to, but unfortunately, there are exactly zero new releases this week. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> However, January is set to bring us several big titles, including Fire Emblem Engage, Forspoken, the Dead Space remake, and more. So stay tuned. Really? Dead Space remake? Does it need a remake? Does anything need a remake? Oh, well, uh, I, I I especially enjoyed the Resident Evil series remakes so far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Resident Evil 4. No. <laughs> but Dead Space? I think it's still too early. It's, you really think games from the PS3 need a remake? Oh, the last of us would like a word. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I don't get people's. <sighs> For what it's worth. I agree with you. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 5 part 74. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're going to milk that for another three consoles. <laughs> All right. So why don't we go ahead and tackle our main topic for this evening from CNN and the best video games of 2022. As the video game industry continues to adjust to post-pandemic life, more and more excellent games continue to grace every platform. Sony dropped some of the biggest first-party blockbusters of the year, including superb God of War Ragnarok, the expansive Horizon Forbidden West, and the revamped Last of Us Part 1. Meanwhile, Microsoft and Nintendo got a few major exclusives under their own belt, standouts like As Dust Falls and Bayonetta 3. 
Between all of those were phenomenal third-party releases, including Elden Ring and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. After many, many hours of playtime, we've made our picks for the best games of 2022. Number 10, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Another fine Nintendo Switch exclusive release this year. Kirby and the Forgotten Land is the first game in the series to be in full 3D. Still maintaining a linear structure, Forgotten Land has players control the lovable pink creature through the cutest apocalyptic wasteland in gaming history. Signature gameplay mechanics like Kirby's copy ability are now upgradable, and you can play with a friend in local co-op. However, the new Mouthful mode is where the game really shines, adding a complex and hilarious layer to the game as the titular hero swallows large objects like cars and traffic cones. At number nine, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge proves that there's nothing wrong with sticking to the basics. Inspired by the 90s Konami arcade games based on the beloved Turtles, developer Tribute Games keeps things simple while making clever touches to the beat-em-up formula. This includes a wider array of offensive and defensive moves alongside the ability to play as April O'Neil, Master Splinter, and Casey Jones, in addition to the original four Turtles. Then there's the fantastic presentation, which features the original voice actors from the 90s animated series and a soundtrack that includes notable rappers like Megaran and Ghostface Killer. Number eight, Splatoon 3. Since releasing on the Wii U in 2015, the Splatoon series has become the closest Nintendo has ever gotten to releasing a shooter in the vein of Call of Duty or Gears of War. Latest game in the series since 2017, Splatoon 2. Splatoon 3 adds plenty of weapon types and multiplayer modes on top of a new single player campaign. Despite being a tad bit goofy in nature, the shooting and ink mechanics make it a unique standout in the shooter genre. Better yet, the game has gotten a steady influx of new content post-release, including the beloved Splatfest events that let players fight on behalf of their favorite food, color, or even Pokemon. Coming in at number seven, Gran Turismo 7. Five years since the release of PS4-exclusive Gran Turismo Sport, developer Polyphony Digital has returned with its storied racing simulator series. Released on both PS4 and PS5, Gran Turismo 7 is a visual wonder regardless of where you play it. However, the current-gen version is an especially great visual treat with support for real-time ray tracing, 4K native resolution, and smooth 60 frame per second gameplay. That's on top of some significant gameplay upgrades, including the return of dynamic time and real-time weather effects like rain. Just be mindful that even the robust single-player portion of the game requires an internet connection. At number six, Stray. Annapurna Games has developed a gaming portfolio that's just as unique as its film arm, and after the success of unique hits such as 12 Minutes, Kentucky Route Zero, and Donut County, comes Stray. Players are put in the shoes of a cat who gets separated from its furry friends. What happens next is an adventure set in a post-apocalyptic world where human-like robots have taken over a city abandoned by humanity. The cute platformer has loads of charm, beautiful visuals, clever puzzles, and a lovely soundtrack. Number five, Horizon Forbidden West. Horizon Zero Dawn was one of the few successful original franchises launched during the PS4 era. 
Introducing a world dominated by machines and a phenomenal lead in the female hunter Aloy, players were attracted to Horizon Zero Dawn's beautiful open world and gameplay that blended stealth and some of the best arrow combat in gaming. Horizon Forbidden West does all of that and more in its Western setting, retaining everything that players loved about the original while adding new features like underwater traversal and combat makes this a worthy sequel. Number four, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. The concluding entry in the Xenoblade trilogy of role-playing games, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 doesn't rock the boat in terms of gameplay mechanics. Differentiating itself from previous games, this entry stars Noah and friends Kevs and Mio stuck in a battle between two warring nations. The same fantastic combat from previous Xenoblade games returns, this time bolstered by new features such as the new ability to fight alongside seven party members during battles and better navigation during various quests. At number three, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Another year, another Call of Duty game from Activision. The past couple of games in the series, Cold War, Vanguard, failed to improve on the excellent precedent set by the 2019 Modern Warfare remake. Since then, the free-to-play battle royale action of Call of Duty Warzone has become a gaming sensation. This is what makes Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 such an accomplishment all around. Besides offering the best single player in the series in quite some time, the multiplayer is as tight as ever. Meanwhile, the audio-visual presentation is some of the best you'll find in a shooter this year. Damn, Modern Warfare, you're tight. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, God of War Ragnarok. 2018's God of War not only successfully rebooted a series that had been dormant for five years, but it also set a new standard for the action genre with its more mature tone and emotional father-son story. God of War Ragnarok takes those concepts and and ramps them up even higher. Considerably longer than its predecessor, Ragnarok's upgraded combat and traversal makes gameplay feel significantly fresh, while the story wraps up the Norse mythology arc exceptionally well. And number one, to no one's surprise, Elden Ring. There's no way to talk about the best games of 2022 without mentioning the grand epic of Elden Ring. This collaboration between Dark Souls developer From Software and Game of Thrones creator George R.R. Martin not only ended up selling nearly 18 million copies, but became the fastest selling game for publisher Bandai Namco. A game that brings the beloved Dark Souls formula to a more mainstream audience, Elden Ring retains the punishingly difficult gameplay that From Software is known for while thrusting players into a large open world with a story that's slightly more understandable. In a time when many gamers gripe about games getting too easy, Elden Ring became a true champion. But but why doesn't it have an easy mode? I want to play it on easy right. mode. <laughs> I'm not sure about the last sentence in a time when many gamers gripe about games getting too easy. I kind of felt like it was the opposite. <laughs> that most of the griping is done by people who think that games aren't easy enough. Right. Where's Metal Where's uh, Metal Hellsinger on this one? You leave an interesting game like Metal Hellsinger and you you tack on the same old thing. Even in their their, their description, another year, another Call of Duty game from Activision. It's like, <laughs> really? Come on. You could have done better than that. Which of those two did you play? I don't like your tone here. I think you played Call of Duty. I don't think you played Metal Hellsinger. Swing and a miss. <laughs> I, want, I want to play Metal Hellsinger, just like I want to play Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok. But you did. The game you made time for was uh, Call of Duty. Yes, yes, that is true. And I still haven't played, like, I honestly, almost all the games on this list, I have um, intentions of playing. Kirby and the Forgotten Land, Shredder's Revenge, 
Except for Splatoon 3. It's not my cup of tea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously played a lot of Splatoon 3, and it's a fantastic game that everyone should play, including both of you, because it's not only a family-friendly event, but also a gameplay experience. You said the same with for Splatoon 2, and I didn't like it. I did buy it. I did play it. I didn't like it. Well, it's because you gave up too easily. You got you're like, oh, people are too good. I suck. She's a quitter. She is a quitter. <laughs> you know, there's only so much teabagging I can take before I'm like, I'm not having any fun. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things with Splatoon 3 is that I think the single player campaign is considerably better than the, the past two entries. Uh, that's a personal opinion, by the way. I, not everybody shares that, but obviously the multiplayer is, is where I spend most of my time. And I will say that it's probably one of the best shooter experiences I have ever had. And I played a lot of Halo. I played Call of Duty back in the day, played SOCOM, all of those games. But for some reason, Splatoon seems to kind of keep it fresh, especially when they have those events. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. I, I I sense some of your doubting. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep my comments to myself. No, no. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is on this list. So by all means, tell me why it's so much better than Splatoon. Uh, it's it's all subjective. It, that's, <laughs> that's his way of saying it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it very much is. Um, I'm, I'm sure I would have fun playing um, Splatoon 3, Splatoon 2 or whatever. It's very childlike. You know, there's no blood and guts or anything like that. But that's that's how Fortnite was able to survive because it didn't need that. The the fun factor in Fortnite, aside from the building, was it was fun to have the, you know, the cartoonish looking characters and yeah, you know, you you shoot somebody and it showed the damage, but nothing visual happened. Like you didn't see body parts flying off and and stuff like that. And sometimes I wanna see that in a shooter. And you know, other times <laughs> I don't. So I, I, I would have just as much fun, I believe, playing Splatoon as I would playing Modern Warfare uh, if I just sat down and gave it a chance. So, I mean, to kind of get back to the article. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who does not care about shooters, the rest of us are like, like huh, what'd you say? <laughs> but as far as personal game of the year, sounds like Ryan's is Splatoon 3. Sounds like Donnie's is uh, Modern Warfare 2. Correct. I desperately want it to be Shredder's Revenge because I've talked it up so much. I really wanted it to win Game of the Year, and yet I still haven't freaking played it. Ryan, are you really going to claim it's something else? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) So that leaves me for my personal Game of the Year. You know, I really liked Shredder's Revenge. I really liked... Stray, I really liked Elden Ring, but my personal game of the year is not on this list. Oh, do tell. We've talked about Cult it of the Lamb. many times before. It yes. is Cult of the Lamb. You want to ask what game I spent the most time playing and had the most fun with. It's definitely Cult of the Lamb. And we've gone into it before about all the reasons why it's so great. You know, it's an original concept, a lamb starting a cult. It was really funny. It was really dark, really irreverent. But it also had that addictive gameplay loop that I'm especially susceptible to, like Moonlighter had, where it's Half of the game is combing the roguelike dungeons, and the other half of the game is managing a home base. 
So you finish your dungeon run, you come back, you do the tasks at your base and you're like, oh, I need a few more, you know, farming items. So then you're like, I'm just going to make one more quick dungeon run. So you go back and then come back to the base and you're all night long just going, I'm just going to make one more run. Just one more run. <laughs> and before you know it, it's freaking 4.30 in the morning and you're going, oops. So the last game I did that with was Moonlighter. Definitely did it many times with Cult of the Lamb and no regrets. It was nice. way fun. Definitely my my game of 2022. I've been there a time or two with playing World of Warcraft where I'm thinking like, oh, just one more quest, one more quest. Yeah, what? like how long is this going to take? And the next thing I know, mm-hmm. it's three or four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh, I got to get up at six for work. So yeah, I've been there too. That concept I, re- I think is referred to as RPG time. Yes. RPG time, huh? Yep. When you're in an RPG and you're saying to yourself, all right, listen, I just want to get to that next level or just want to meet beat that next boss. And then you're right. All of a sudden, the, the sun is coming up and you're like, oh my God, this day of work is going to be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I just call yeah. off sick. <laughs> Which I have done. I have done that. <laughs> Although, you know, to be completely honest, that's one of my favorite parts of being an adult. It's like, you know what? It. If I want to stay up all night, I'm going to stay up all night. Right. But there's consequences. <laughs> nah, consequences, schmonsequences. <laughs> I like your outlook. <laughs> All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by The Leadest Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. The Atari series Sword Quest is infamous for its elaborate prize scheme that never reached its full potential, but they really did pull out all the stops for the epic. They even enlisted which DC comic artist for their comic adaptation. Tune into the Letus podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Letus on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. I don't know a single DC comic artist, so you guys go ahead. (laughs) Um, I did put the answer in the chat, or at least what I think is the answer, but he is... Redacted. And you would be correct, sir. I even Sweet. guessed that correct as well. So, uh, Nice. Pat on the back for both of us. Good job, <laughs> boys. Well done. Internet high five. Boink. Uh. <laughs> Boink. That's the sound it makes in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Your high fives are different. <laughs> you got a clown horn going off. <laughs> Just go with it, okay? Just go with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats and welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, we'll be discussing some examples of how first to market doesn't always mean first in the sales column. So, this idea of first to market is a term that's often used by businesses that describe a situation where they have something innovative that they may or may not be competing with another brand to be the first to make their product or service available for sale. Now, generally in the business world, it's perceived that first to market is the best position a company can be in with their new product. However, just like Oreos, sometimes it's better to be second or even third place. Which, by the way, did you know that Oreos were not the original chocolate cream chocolate cookie? Yep. Hydroxy. Yep. Just Hydrox. (laughs) Yeah. Hydrox. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Hydrox was the first to market. 
I'm not sure I want to try those hydroxy cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, hydroxy cut? No, no, that's not it. So first, let's talk about Pong versus the Magnavox Odyssey. The first gaming console versus the first gaming sensation. Now, Ralph Barab, often considered to be the grandfather of video games, developed a home console with his Sanders Corporation for Magnavox in 1972. The console was a rudimentary system that allowed players to manipulate boxes of light on their television screen. Now, depending on which number of card you put in the system would determine how many boxes were on the screen and what you could do with them. Number one, table tennis. And number three, tennis slash hockey, were games where players would use the paddle controllers to manipulate another non-player box on the screen. Sounds a lot like Pong, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, Magnavox would agree. So much so that they sued Atari for copyright infringement in 1974, stemming back to proof from a guestbook sheet that showed Atari CEO... Nolan Bushnell had actually played the Odyssey at a trade show prior to its 1972 release. Oh, no. <laughs> Whoops. Exactly. Uh, and I think he was quoted as saying, yeah, I played it, but I didn't find it uh, terribly remarkable or something like that. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, interestingly enough, though, Magnavox would eventually win the lawsuit and would have the right to see Atari's product release plans for the next year after the lawsuit concluded. So some actually speculate that the reason that the Atari 2600 release was delayed by four months was because of that lawsuit. And despite winning the lawsuit, the damage had kind of been done. Atari's Pong was a monster hit, selling 150,000 units its first year and gave the company the credibility it needed to seek additional investors, eventually leading to a six-year stranglehold over the video game market. Magnavox did release a follow-up console to the Odyssey, the Odyssey 2, but its 1.5 million units sold pales in comparison to the Atari's 2630 million. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the Fairchild Channel F and the Atari 2600 for the first to market for cartridge-based games. However, I already discussed a lot of this in a Gaming History 101 segment we did before on the late, great Jerry Lawson. So if you missed that and want to hear more, definitely check that one out. So next, let's talk about CD-based technology. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the PlayStation 1. Sony's home console took the world by storm in the mid-90s. However, they weren't the first company to utilize optical media for a dedicated home console. They weren't. They weren't. I know. Crazy. <laughs> the Dutch-based company Philips had been working with Sony to develop the compact disc technology. And in 1990, they released the Compact Disc Interactive, or CDI, as a multimedia machine for consumers. It would allow buyers to use the system for a whole host of different functions, from listening to audio CDs, using interactive CD-ROMs, karaoke, and a lot more. However, the system upon release confused consumers as to what it was supposed to be, so in 1992, they released the device as a home video game console instead. There were a few issues, though, with the CDI. For one, it was very expensive, roughly equivalent to just under $2,000 in today's money. Yeah. Secondly, it lacked quality game titles that were found on its competitors, mostly focused on edutainment style games. 
And lastly, the controllers were, yeah, right. (laughs) 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 Lastly, its controllers were a little less than desirable. Since the system started off its life as a multimedia machine, the packing controller was a remote control shaped device. Eventually, they would come out with a proper controller, which you had to pay extra for if you were an early adopter. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Sony, of course, was working with Nintendo to help develop their own CD-based system. And Nintendo, of course, doubled back on the deal when they realized in contracts with Sony that they would lose control over licensing of the games and would likely be at the behest of Sony if they wanted to make any changes. In a backdoor deal with Philips, Nintendo canceled the project and signed on with Philips to finish it. However, cold feet from the Nintendo execs over the mild reception of the Sega CD-based console and its failure of the CDI led them to abandon the project altogether. Sony during that time had gained enough knowledge of the gaming industry from Nintendo that they decided to proceed forward with their console and the Sony PlayStation was born. It was a worldwide sensation and that left the CDI, Sega CD, and eventually the N64 in the dust. Its library of Smash games, the controller and third-party developer support meant that Sony was now the hottest company in the gaming industry and a legacy which lasts even until today. Now, our last example stems from the concept of motion controls. Now, when you think of the first console dedicated to motion control technology, what comes to mind? The Nintendo Entertainment System. Well, uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System certainly had peripherals that that allowed you to have motion controls. But when you think of a console that was really designed behind motion controls, what do you think of? The Nintendo Entertainment System. You lose again. (laughs) (laughs) He just wants to to plug the power glove. That's all he wants. That's it. Okay, the Wii. What if I told you there was a console that was released two years before the Wii that contained many similar games? Hmm. That is the Zavix port. The who with the what? Yes, exactly. That's not a great name. <laughs> and it's X-A-V-I-X, Zavix. It was a company out of Japan uh, by the name of SSD, and the Zavix was the first console dedicated to players' movements, developed by eight engineers that worked at Nintendo. The Zavix was a unique piece of hardware, to say the least. Now, unlike most consoles, though, the system itself contained no CPU, but rather the CPU was contained on the game cartridges that slid into the top of the console. System released in 2004 with a starting price of $79.99, and would eventually have 23 games for the system. Uh, by the way, later in its life, it was actually selling for 20 bucks. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah. Not so good. Now, each game for the system actually came with a unique controller where they were specifically used for that game. A tennis racket, a baseball bat, a fishing rod, a miniature bowling ball, gloves, gym mats, a scale, and boxing gloves were all sold on games specifically as motion control devices. Now, and this didn't catch on, you're saying. Right, crazy. Now, the, the funny part, though, is the Wii had all those things as like extra accessories that you could buy uh, that you would plug your Wii mode into. So it's funny. It's like they were like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need this for every game, but if you <laughs> want the same experience as Xamax, we got it for you. <laughs> 
Now, though, this often meant that games for the system were expensive, with the JMAT game sponsored by Jackie Chan costing $89.99, which was $10 more than the actual system. Damn. Imagine buying a game for your PlayStation 5 that happened to cost like $500, $600. (laughs) Well, then again, if the PlayStation 5 had no CPU in it, it would be cheaper. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. But I think that even makes it worse. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but when every game you're buying is like 500 bucks, that it doesn't, right. not, I, that doesn't make any sense. That was my question when you said that. I was like, doesn't that make the games really expensive? Mm-hmm. Now, the system typically used infrared technology to help determine where the player's controller was to interact with what was on screen. Now, one of the biggest problems with the Zavix port and, and to, to provide context, this is the time of like the PS2, the Dreamcast, and the Xbox original, and the GameCube were out. And the Zavix CPU was the same as the Super Nintendo, and in some instances, the same as the NES for some games. <laughs> Wasn't exactly cutting-edge technology on that regard. So it made the system more of a novelty than a true gaming console. And the Wii, of course, would... Uh, eventually take over the concept of motion controls in 2006 and open up gaming to millions of non-gamers across the world. Now, despite Wii Sports looking eerily similar to games on the Zavix, there was no direct accusations of plagiarism lobbied at the big end. So to wrap things up, first is sometimes the worst, second or third can be the best, and depending on what you do with them will determine your fate. So thank you for attending today's lesson. Just a reminder, if you have any ideas for a story you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com, and we might feature your suggestion. All right, so why don't we go ahead and wrap things up for this evening. Thank you for listening to episode 53 of the Gamers Week podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast, the Leaders podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Or join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. Or follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash gamersweekpodcast for our January 3rd live Not Safe for Work show. Wait, we have a Twitch? Uh, yes, we do, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's brand new, right? It's never been used. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, since you made it all the way to the end of the episode, please leave us a rating and a review and let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. While you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And just a reminder, we will be streaming live on Twitch on Tuesday, January 3rd at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, and we will see you all there. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Merry New Year. <laughs> it's happy. We say happy in this country. <laughs> Beef jerky time. <laughs> oh, no, son. It gives me the winds. <laughs> uh, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>
Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like, I <laughs> Google Street Fighter 6. The first search result that comes up is people think they can see reused in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make you fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> If you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.